Well, good morning, Willpark Church. It's good to see you all this morning. My name is Glenn, and I'm one of the pastors here at Willow Park, and uh, I, uh, I also oversee the South community, which is where, if you, when you see me getting off the stage straight after I preach and head straight out the door, then I'm heading to preach there. I got 20 minutes to get there. Uh, otherwise, they just sit and wait, and it's very awkward. So, um, so that's, that's what's happening, in case you were wondering, why does he always run off the stage? What's going on there? Isn't Christmas a, it's a strange time of year, if you think about it. The whole concept of Christmas, what we've made it as a culture, what we read about in the scriptures, it's really, in essence, one of the most important holidays, one of the most important celebrations of the Christian church. It's Jesus Christ, God, coming to earth as a baby, and all that... uh, entails after that. But we do have a tendency to read these scriptures and to, uh, and to, and to think through these things, uh, sometimes quite flippantly because we've read them so often. But if you actually think about what's happening with this baby Jesus and the people who come to worship him, it's really quite unusual that you, for example, this morning we're going to think about the so-called wise men, the Magi, that, that they would come and worship a baby. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, is my clicker working? Chris, help me. Is there anything that I can do? Thumbs up. No thumbs up. Okay, well, we'll have our first slide. Oh, it is. I'm pressing. The red light's coming on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be so great. Oi, there we go. Oh, no, now it stopped again. There we go. Okay, thank you, Chris. The media guys do such a great job. What would I do without them? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This series is called Come uh, Worship the King. This is what these wise men are doing. But why have they come to worship this particular baby? And so I want to ask a few questions this morning. And and I want to let you know this is Christmas is actually in its essence, the message of Christmas is a very challenging message. Because it causes us, like we have been in the last few weeks, to really consider, well, what king are we worshiping? They've come to worship this particular baby. Why? And what king are we worshiping? So what is worship? Worship is placing ultimate value, a high view, if you like, on something that energizes you and changes you. Worship is not what we just did this morning. And can I say uh, that we were very Mennonite in our worship this morning. Did you notice? All the men on this side, all the girls on this side, and room for the Holy Spirit in between. That's the way we like it in Mennonite churches. Thank you very much. We are Mennonite at the core. That is not what we've been doing this morning. What we've actually been doing is, is singing. Some of you... We're worshiping. Maybe a very small number of you are worshiping because some of you, maybe most of you, don't actually worship, place ultimate value on, through singing. 
Some people love it and kind of get frustrated with those who aren't like this as they're worshiping. Why aren't you worshiping? Look at me. But actually, lots of people don't worship by singing, and, that, and that's okay, because worship, biblically, is placing ultimate value upon something, giving something a high uh, view on the, and, and it engages you and changes you. You actually make decisions as a result of the thing that you are worshiping, the thing that you are making king. So this group of men, these wise men, were placing ultimate value on Jesus, So much so that they changed the course of their lives to come and worship him. Worship comes from an old English word, which means worth-ship. What we're placing worth upon, we will worship. We will make decisions towards. We will change our lives for. We will sacrifice for, just like these wise men. So these wise men came to worship King Jesus. Remember, my second question is, is who's the king What is the king we are placing ultimate value upon and worshipping? See, the world is is not divided between two groups of people, uh, worshippers and non-worshippers. If you were to ask our culture, most people who would say they weren't Christian, who would be secular maybe in their thinking, would say, well, I don't worship. Worship is for the religious people. I'm not religious. Well, actually, the truth is, is every single human being is worshiping something. We are wired to worship. If we use the definition we've looked at this morning, every person on this planet is placing ultimate value on something or someone and sacrificing and making decisions towards that thing. So we don't divide the world between religious and non-religious, worshippers and non-worshippers. Every one of us worships. So the question is not, are we worshipping? The question is actually, are you worshipping something that will sustain you? Are you worshipping something that is worthy of your soul's attention? So the Bible says, and as a Christian, I believe that we've all been created in the image of God. So every one of us is wired to worship. So is the thing that you are bowing down to and worshipping as king worthy of your soul's attention? And how does it change you? In Psalm 95, there's this beautiful psalm of praise. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him. Have we made a noise this morning? Some of you. Um, With songs of praise. Why? Why do we come into the house of God and make a noise? Why do we worship? Why is this psalmist just exuberant in his exclamation of praise? Come, let's make a noise for God. Why? For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all little g gods. You see, God is worthy of our, he is the, the worship, the ultimate value placed upon God as king, creates this sense of pure worship that we're all wired towards. But the psalmist is saying, above all gods. So let me ask you a difficult question. It's going to get a little uncomfortable just for a few minutes. Who or what is your God? Little g. 
What is it in our lives that we have placed ultimate value upon that we actually come and bow down to and make decisions towards more than perhaps we do God big G that we proclaim is the center of our lives. Let, let's, just be, let's just be honest. Imagine we're just having coffee and we're just really asking ourselves some tough questions. Do we have a little G God that we're actually placing ultimate value upon and making decisions and actions and it's changing us? And what's very interesting in our world is the things that we place the highest value on are not bad things. They're actually good things that we've made ultimate. So we make decisions and we see things in our lives. Maybe it's, maybe it's our children that we've made God's little g, ultimate value. Everything is pressed and pushed towards the well-being of our children. And parents, I, I'm a dad. We need to teach our children to thrive. We're not responsible for their thriving, but we teach them how to thrive. But if we set our children that is a good thing up as an ultimate thing, then suddenly we've made them little g-gods and everything else tracks behind them. And we need to be careful with that, especially if we place more value on them than we do God and Jesus. And I've said before many times, the most loving thing we can do as parents and grandparents is to love Jesus more than them. Let me say that again. The most loving thing we can do as parents and grandparents is to love our children, uh, love Jesus more than we love them. Because that will send them a message that that which we are placing ultimate value upon, they too should place ultimate value. Will they do it in the timing that we want? Probably not. But that's our responsibility. So it's a good thing made ultimate. We need to be careful. Maybe it's our work. Maybe it's our business. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our looks. These are good things that we make ultimate and can replace and become little g-gods. Then something happens if we do that. And please listen. Again, remember we're having coffee, just being honest with one another. Something interesting happens. The thing that we place ultimate value upon starts to control us. So... If we seek money above everything else, money will control us. If we seek the well-being of our children and the success of our children above everything else, then we will be controlled by that. If we seek power above everything else and popularity, then we will be controlled by that. If it's acceptance or knowledge or academia or success or ambition or attention from others or relationships with people from the opposite sex or whatever it might be, if that is our ultimate value, then it starts to control us. And if it's taken away or challenged or changed, we fall apart. So if our children do not align with where we would want them to be, if we have placed them as ultimate value and they didn't turn out to be David Beckham, even though I took them to soccer five times a week and we didn't go to church, we went to hockey or we, 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 went, we, did, we did big white every week. I don't understand why, why they don't follow Jesus. Oh, that, that might have hurt a little bit. But isn't it true? What do we think about the most? What do we worry about the most? 
What is it that we spend our money on the most? These are indicators of perhaps that which we have placed ultimate value upon. You see, these, these men worshipped God. And their view of God was very different, I think, from our view of God. I, I truly believe that if we could just glimpse just for a few seconds God in all his glory, I think our whole lives would be changed. And some people in the Bible actually got to see it in, through visions and dreams. And, and, and I think they, they respond differently to God than we do. See, we, we tend to talk about him and study him, and those are good things. But these people in the Bible, they had such a high view of God that they, were, they, they fainted, they cried out, they collapsed before him because they were faced with how high he was and how low they were, and it changed them. It made the God ultimate value to them. If you could uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I've just had a text, so if you don't mind, I'll just... Isaiah chapter 6. You, you go ahead. It's from my wife, and I said if she ever texted me, I would always make sure that I put her first. Isn't this weird? Like, have you ever had a preacher just stop and check his texts? It's a first. It's blank, trust me, don't worry. I'm not actually sending a text. I'm proving a point. You see, we place, we place these things. Some of us in the room place everything that this represents as the highest priority in our lives. Like, you can't get through a coffee with somebody without checking whether or not somebody's favorited your picture of a cat in a Santa hat <laughs> eating a mince pie. 47 likes. Yes. We place insignificant things before God Almighty. We place things that are nothing in front of him who we're going to read in a second is so far above us, so magnificent, so glorious, so amazing, that he would still choose us and love us and come as a baby. We place other things above him as more beautiful and more precious. If we have a small view of God, then it causes us to be critical of him. If we have a small view of God, then we are half interested, we're ungrateful. We ask questions and make judgments about how and who he he is. If we have a small view of God, then we, we criticize him. How come God does it this way? Why doesn't he do it my way? My way is good. High view of me, low view of God. And we cast him aside and we put things before, and I, I put, I didn't really, but I was putting my texting before you, and you felt, hang on a second. Well, some of you just twigged straight away and knew that I wasn't doing it. But some of you were like, is he, is he serious? Do we not do the same thing with God? There was a story a couple of years ago in Britain where a family were rooting around in their attic or loft as we call it in, in Britain and they found a, a large multicolored vase and, and you, can, you can look this up, not now, please don't Google it now, do it later, um, a large vase that they had valued and then they ended up selling this vase, this Chinese vase for $104 million dollars. 
It had been shoved in the back of their attic for years. As soon as they understood the value of what they had in their hands, do you think they just threw it back in the attic? No, it changed their lives. It changed how they treated it. It, They changed how they thought about it. It actually created change and caused them to do things that they ordinarily wouldn't do, which is like buying a Bentley. I, I don't know. You don't just cast it aside when you understand the true value of something. They held it differently. See, having a high view of God changes our lives. This little baby Jesus, King Jesus, changed the lives of those wise men and everybody who believes in him. In all seriousness, let's look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6, very famous passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. It's a very interesting statement at the beginning of this, and it's very important, in the year that King Uzziah died. See, King Uzziah was a good king, and in Israel's history, there was a time when if the king was in a good place with God, then the nation flourished, and if the king was in a bad place, then the nation plummeted. And so this king, Uzziah, was a good king. He had reigned for 52 years, and the land was devastated when he died. What is going to happen now? What are we going to do? And see, Isaiah would have had the same feelings. What's God's response to the situation? He doesn't come and say, you know, it's going to be fine. Here are some tips. Here are some principles. Here are some thoughts. He does something very simple. He says, Isaiah, look at me. Look at me, Isaiah. I've got this. Look at my magnificence. Look at my glory. Look at my power. Look at how high I am. Do you think I'm concerned with a king dying? Do you think I'm concerned with a new prime minister? Do you think I'm concerned with with things going badly in your life? Do you think that that is going to constrain me and stop my plan? Do you think that the shifting going on at work and your financial situation and what's going on in your children's lives or whatever else you might look at in your life, do you think that constrains me? Isaiah, look at me. And what's Isaiah's response? Woe is me, for I am lost. It's not, hey God, I don't think you quite understand what's going on. It's like, no, no, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. If that's his biggest issue, I'm in big trouble. And in the midst of a people of unclean lips, he's saying, if you think I'm bad, look at them. For my eyes have seen... Who? The king. The king. Woe is me. See, this is what happened very quickly for Isaiah. He got a sudden high view of God and a very sudden low view of himself, didn't he? 
And the response was, if you read Isaiah, intense, incredible courage, unapologetic faith. That was the response in having a high view of God and a low view of himself. This is the God we worship. And those challenges come. Is what you are placing your worship in going to sustain you like the king of kings can? Does it, that which you place ultimate value on, the king that we tend to worship in our lives, can it say, look at me, I've got this? You know, if all else fails, at least, Glenn, you're going to have looks until you're 90. That will sustain you. Keep working at it. It's ridiculous. Of course not. Anything that we place as ultimate value, does it sustain us? God can. Look at me, he says. Who is really on the throne? And there's a brilliant... This, this scripture this week just it actually made me laugh for this reason. This is Ezekiel getting a vision of the magnificence of God. And above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And he goes on, upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it as it were gleaming. Metal, like the appearance of fire, enclosed all around, and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it as were appearance of fire, and there was a brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness of all around, such was the appearance of the lightness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Here's what I'm getting when I'm reading this. It's like a five-year-old babbling. I, I don't know how to explain this. It's like gleaming metal. It, it's, it's bright. It's fiery. Did I mention it was like gleaming metal? It's bright. Fire. Rainbows. I don't know how to explain. And what's his response? Collapses. Like I just, oh, I just can't do this. I can't explain to you. This is the God in all his magnificence, and he says this, I love you. I will come as a baby and live the life that you cannot live and die the death that you deserve because I love you. That's Christmas. God in all his glory confines himself into a baby. Do we understand the value of what we have as we celebrate Christmas? Does it cause us to come and bow and worship? Imagine if I had a $20 note and you offered me a tic-tac for that $20 note. I would think you were crazy because my $20 note is worth way more than your measly tic-tac. Thank you very much. But imagine that you came and you had a Ferrari And you said, Glenn, I will give you my Ferrari for that $20 note. Mm, Let me think, yes. Pastor in a Ferrari, I like the idea of that. Because the $20 note changes in value in comparison to what it is being offered to, correct? If we hold that $20 note and say, well, it's not worth the tic-tac, I'm going to hold on to it. Are you mad? 
But if something else far more magnificent than a Tic Tac is offered for that $20 note, suddenly that $20 note is actually worthless. Take it. And this is what happens when we study and meditate upon the glory of God. Suddenly those things that we place as more beautiful than him and higher than him, of ultimate value above him, suddenly become nothing in comparison to him if we truly understand who it is that we're actually worshiping. If we get a grasp of who God is, your view of life will change. How you see your children and grandchildren will change. You cast them aside? Of course not. You love them. But in comparison to God, you maybe really enjoy the work you do. But in comparison to God, you see suddenly those things that we see as ultimate value are actually become worthless in comparison to God. See, King Jesus came and offered himself as a baby, offered himself later on in life as a sacrifice. He did it before we were deserving of it. He did it before we could do anything to actually, in our mind, deserve it, because there's nothing we can do to deserve that sacrifice and love. See, other religions make requirements upon you, requirements that will always leave you to fail guilty and shame-filled, that you have to do this in order to have God accept you, where the true God says, no, there's nothing you can do that will overcome the separation that we have, so I will send my son as a baby, the incarnation, he will grow and he will live a perfect life, and then he will offer his life as a sacrifice so that we can be atoned at one moment, we can be close to God again, that's grace, that's Christianity, It's the most beautiful gift and Jesus came and he chose us, he loved us, he died. It's all about what he did, not what about we do. And that makes him higher, worthier, more magnificent than anything we can place above him. You see, if I belong to the king of kings, this this king that we've just been reading about, if I belong to that God... If I belong to the King of Kings, the the God of Gods, the Lord of Lords, and He is mine, and I am His, that He He has chosen me, that there's nothing that can separate me from Him. He loves me, He accepts me, He 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 takes me and says, This you are my son. If I'm His beloved son, then there is nothing that this world, surely nothing this world can offer that comes close to that. That's what Christmas is about. He says, Come, come. Worship. If my hope is placed in something that is bigger and outside of me, then courage comes. There's true joy in that. We can, like the psalmist, shout for joy and make a noise because I'm his. Do you have that? You take any scripture and you chew on it and you you look at it and you consider it and you meditate upon it and you see the magnificence of God kind of flowing through it, then it lifts up our heart and we say, wow, he is truly worth our ultimate value. This is what is worthy of your soul. It's what you were created for. For those of us in the room who are Christians, surely this is worth our attention. 
This is worth our praise. This is worth our prayer. This is worth our giving, our, our offering. It's worth it because he is worth it. Let's guard ourselves from placing anything as more precious than that, more beautiful than that, more important than that, because there is nothing. Especially when we do place our attention on those things, they control us. There's actually freedom in this. This is what is worthy of your soul. For those of you who don't know him in the room, you can come and bow to the king. Give him your grudges. Give him your struggles. Give him your worries. You can give him your fears. You can give him your life. You can give him the sin and the shame and the the guilt that may be your feeling. You can give him your resources and your time and all yourself. And he will take it and make it far more beautiful than what you are trying to do by yourselves right now. See, the bigger God is to you, the smaller our distractions and challenges are. I really believe that having God, having Him as a, if we have a high view of God, that it's really the answer that we're all looking for. Just a glimpse of His glory. So friends, as we, as we move towards the Christmas season, let's make sure that we place God first. Let's come worship the King, the King of Kings. We're going to finish with a song in just a moment. It's a, a beautiful song. It encapsulates everything that I've been saying this morning. And I would encourage you to consider, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit in just a second to, to really speak to you. If there's things that you know in your life that you are placing as higher value, more beautiful than Him, that... You can bring that to him and go, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. Help me in this. Show me what I need to do. Show me, just give me a glimpse of your beauty. That I could have a low view of myself and a high view of him. Should we worship the king this Christmas as a church? I think that would be a good thing. Let's pray. Dear God, it it seems that, Lord, we are so far apart from you that it's difficult for us to fully grasp who you are. And yet, Lord, we can look through history and see people who have gone before us who have glimpsed Then, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, Holy Spirit, I'd ask that this morning, as we worship you, as we sing songs about you, as we read scripture about you, that, that God, that we would have our hearts filled with a sense of your glory and your beauty and your importance and your worth. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that If not today, Lord, that you would just continue to minister to us this week and show us what it is that we're placing ultimate value upon. Forgive us, Lord. Because what can compare? Who can compare to you? Lord, I pray for the parents and grandparents in the room. Lord, help us to hold our children with open hands, lifted to you, Lord, guard us from making them 
our gods. Lord, we love them, but Lord, we know that you love them more. So Lord, I pray that you would ignite something in the parents and grandparents and the caregivers in the room, Lord, that you would ignite something that we could love you more and that they would see that and be inspired by it and attracted to it. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we consider our practical lives, the the responsibilities we have. Lord, guard us from making good things ultimate things. Father, I pray that we would all have a high view of you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for coming as a baby and living and dying for you. It says for yourself, first of all, and for us, Lord, that we would be part of that. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.